Podmode Podcast with Andy Case and special guests. Hello and welcome to the Bonmo Podcast. This week, Dan Thomas is answering the questions while I randomly interject in a desperate bid to sound interesting. And with that, over to Dan. <laughs> okay, all right, okay, all right, let's go for this. Right, okay. Chip in whenever with interest in. Right, okay. Please introduce yourself, your favourite song, book, film, and your favourite joker observation. My favourite song changes on a day-to-day basis, uh, but let's go with, at the moment, it is uh, Johnny Cash's The Man Comes Around. Uh, wow. I'm a middle-aged white man. It's going to be... <laughs> It was likely to be Johnny Cash. Uh, yes. Favourite book. <clears throat> um, I'm not sure I've got a favourite book. I've got a favourite author, and I like all of his books, a guy called Robert Christ, who's a crime... Again, very middle-aged man. He writes crime novels set in Los Angeles, and I've been reading them since uni, And because uh, one of his books was on the course, and I just got addicted to him. And there are a series of books starring Elvis Cole and Joe Pike. Uh, I'm a big fan of those. I could have said something. Hi, bro. Let's say Anna Karenina. I'll say Anna Karenina. <laughs> Chuck it yeah, in Anna, there. Anna, this is that and Anna Karenina. And um, favorite <laughs> film again? Right, my I have. I'm one of those people who goes. That's one of my top twenty films. And there's like yeah. seventy films in the top twenty. Right. I just yeah, haven't I added it up. But I'm going to say my top one consists of these five films: <laughs> Aliens. <laughs> Die Hard, yeah. Midnight Run, um, Jaws, and that's probably it. No comedies, you'll notice. No. Uh, Good choices. Good but choices. they're fairly classic. Again, I think they're sort of they're safe, bland ones, um, but I love them. They're the ones I can just, if it comes on, you'll just, well, that, that's the test. If it comes on TV, will you sit there and watch the whole damn thing? And I will. Blade Runner is the other yeah. ones in the top five. Yeah, yeah, Blade, yeah, Blade Runner. Yeah, not not so hot on the second one. <gasps> I weirdly, even though the first was my favorite, is by far my favorite film because I had twenty five years or thirty years of watching that. God, it was a weird. Blade Runner was one that my mother said, "Right, time for you to watch a proper science fiction." Right, and she <laughs> she walked me down to the video shop and we rented it, and then she watched it and she goes, "Ah, oh, you know what? I was thinking of Clockwork Orange." I was nine, <laughs> and she was totally like, what? "Yeah," she was totally like, "That's the wrong one." I meant. Stanley Kubrick's um, slightly rapey uh, science fiction yes. opus. Oops. <laughs> but I f- wow, that's an eye opener at night. And that was, I mean, that was banned in this country because Kubrick banned uh, Clockwork Orange himself oh. after some copycat things in the in the seventies. So you couldn't get it anyway. But Blade Runner was what my mother was thinking of, and I didn't like Blade Runner when I was nine. Weirdly enough, because it's quite, you know, cerebral. I'm not a huge fan of watching comedy films, but there are a few that make it into my top 20. Like The Odd Couple, I love that. That's my favourite comedy. Um, unless you can't yeah, Midnight yeah. Run, because but that's more of an action film. Um, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, favourite joke? I don't care for jokes. Okay, that's absolutely I, fair. Yeah, I, I, you know, sometimes my kid will tell me one, and I'm like, that's cute that you told me a joke, but I'm not, like, <laughs> clever. It's more... I was talking to somebody about this. If a joke is mediocre... I might act, I might laugh at it. I'll, ha, that's a joke. And then, but if a joke is really good, I go quiet and go, yeah, it's very good, clever. That's if I really enjoy yeah. it. It's like, it's, you know, two thumbs on the lips and just nodding and going, yes, very good. And that's a 10 out of 10 joke. Um, I, oh, it's good, good to know then. So if you're laughing, you don't find it that funny. I don't find it as fun. No, no. Like a really good <laughs> joke will stop me in my tracks. Brilliant. Uh, or is a funny joke? Where you're like, yeah, yeah, okay. It's always it's the combination of a laugh and like, yeah, fine, you got it. Yep, yeah, okay. 
Yeah, I was, I was thinking I was talking to this with someone else I was interviewing. They said one of the obviously one of the banes is when people know who you are, they immediately feel the need for you to prove your ability, don't they? Um, it's like, God, tell us a joke. It's like, no, just no. Yeah. You don't do that with anyone else, do you? You know. No, you just, like, I haven't got any jokes. I have bits. They go on for five minutes. And, and they always ask you to oh, do a joke in a setting that is not. You, you can't go and do a five minute bit when you're like, like it happened recently I was at a family gathering and we meet a lot of new people two families coming together and somebody said I've told everyone you're a comedian oh shit I was just here for a cup of tea and a cake and to meet new people but now I'm doing like okay everybody great to be here okay <laughs> we've got stage and everything we've got a stage for you uh, we're not paying so <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're not it's exposure it's exposure to the people who you have to see anyway because they're your family um <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So now that I'm getting jokes, have we got observations? Not really. I mean, I, I have, but again, it'd be the same thing. If like I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a five minute bit on uh, Welsh traffic signs. It just feels weird. Um, which comedian or sketch first made you laugh? Uh, when I was uh, ten or eleven, my father bought me a double tape box set. So that's four episodes, one on each side of two tapes of Hancock's Half Hour. And that was the first comedy right. I ever fell in love with. I don't remember which episode they were because I ended up buying a lot of them, whatever was available. Yeah. Um, but I would I would go to sleep listening to them. You know, ultimately, relatively joylessly. Because you know, if you listen to the same four episodes on a loop for two or three yeah. years, it's like you're, not fi- you're probably not going to find new things in them, even though Hancock was a genius. Um, and it was that in the same Christmas he bought me... Um, uh, VHS of two episodes of Fawlty Towers, and I remember it was the one with the builders on the builders episode. And oh, yeah, with the no, that was the first yeah. time I remember laughing until I went silent. It was just I'm still I'm in pain, but there's no noise coming out because I'm laughing so much. And that's the bit where uh, Basil is freaking out and panicking because the builders have done the wrong thing, and he ends up. Calling uh, Polly. Uh, it's a door in the wrong place. Everything's in the wrong place. They put a wall in the wrong place, and he's freaking out, and he calls yeah. Polly a clothier bint, I think. Um, which <laughs> can't say anymore, but it made me laugh when I was eleven, and uh, I'm not not a phrase I've come to use since. It's quite niche, I feel, as a as an observation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, you don't want to be yelling that. I mean, oh God, I probably have said it. Oh God, I definitely have. I pro- probably not since the nineties, and then said it in the hope that the person I'd said it to was a Faulty Towers fan and I was clearly doing an homage stroke bit, but I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, no, that's why I was doing it, just to check if you Yeah, he's, he's, do you watch Faulty Towers? No, that gets, I'm sorry, I called you a bint. Um, what is, it's all about context. What is the most outrageous request you've ever received to do a gig script sketch for no money, for exposure, and how did you handle it? I, you know what, I've... I don't know what the most ridiculous one is when you start off. You always get asked to do stuff for nothing. Um, mm-hmm. It becomes less common the uh, further into your career you get. I'm now 18 years plus into this. And I bumped sure. into somebody at a gig recently and she said, do you want to come and do my gig? And I said, sure. Uh, she said, it doesn't pay anything, but I, uh, I, you get free cupcakes. And I trusted her enough to go, I bet she makes really good cupcakes. Did the gig last week, I got a box of cupcakes and a loaf of bread, and they were, I can confirm they were all delicious. If I had been offered a paid gig, I would have done that like a shot. I was not for that <laughs> night, so I came away with a uh, like a lunchbox full of uh, cupcakes, which were Guinness-flavoured, uh, just oh, wow. the audience out, coffee and walnut, chocolate orange, and... Uh, 
God, there was one other one. Can't remember, but it was very, very nice. Uh, uh, so I was happy to do it. And the loaf of bread was actually incredible. So that so the way I dealt with it was by eating what was offered. It's like old school bartering then. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, she do fine. When the apocalypse comes, she's going to do absolutely fine. If the world ends up becoming like the movie The Road, she'd be like, do you want a loaf of bread? They're like, yeah, all right, let's, uh, let's let her live. <laughs> yeah. yeah she does good bread she can yeah she can also learn. the other good thing about the gig was I didn't know until I got there but they had a, uh, a an arcade machine there that had a Game Boy emulator on it and like a Mega Drive emulator on it so I was just uh, I just watched the other comics just playing golf from 1989 oh, not God. Nick Faldo who was that uh, yeah playing Arnold Palmer yeah. golf I was having a great time I had a lovely evening. Yeah. I didn't watch the other comics. I was busy trying to get into a, you know. <laughs> I was watching Arnold Palmer. Oh, God, an emulator. I, I remember um, when I first discovered emulator, it was actually the, uh, what was it, BBC B Elite. Oh, wow. Wow. A game that took me, I think, most of my life as a small person to complete. You completed Elite uh, on the BBC B? Yeah. That game was rock yeah. solid. Yeah. It was, don't ask me how many hours I wasted, um, but I did get there eventually. And then, and then you just think, "Oh, I've I've completed it," and it's like, "Oh." When, when did you finish it? Like, how long did it take? Are we talking like you finished it last week? Oh no, 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 no! This this is I finished it. I no, it took me years, but it was back in my early okay. teens. But somehow my. Uh, I don't know how he did it, but these you know, obviously when I was many many years ago, computers were quite thin on the ground, and I don't know how he did it, but my dad somehow managed to convince work that not only did he need a computer, but he needed a computer to, at home, um, which is back in late seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was a BBC B, yeah, eighty two ish. I need to work from home on my on my computer. Um, I don't know how you swung it, but I was grateful because I, I, my only uh, input was saving up to buy the game, <laughs> which was nine ninety nine back then. <laughs> yeah, W H Smiths, go down with my money. Um, yeah, and it just took me years of patiently, and I don't know why. It's one of the few things I've stuck. You know, game wise, it's one of the few things I've stuck to the end. Uh, most of them, I just lose interest after a while. And I'm like, that's because games were really, really hard by then. Yeah, they were. Which what was it called? Which space? Just when you had the biggest load or the most money, or, or you were about to do something amazing, you got pushed into which space? And was it the Thargoids immediately killed you? Like, oh, I love this. This is going back in the eighties or early nineties, and you're still like, I'm still fucked up about which space. <laughs> it was so annoying. It was just so. It was because it was so deliberate. It was like, oh, you think you've made it? Oh no! <laughs> oh, no, I haven't. You're right. I should let that go, shouldn't I? Really, but... just deep breath. Leave it go. You, but you eventually <laughs> beat Witch Space. Uh, if only one comedy festival was allowed to survive, which one would you fight for and why? My favourite festival is probably Machankov in in Machankov. Yes. I, I love it. Uh, I, I don't have much to say about it. It's just I have the best time there. Edinburgh. I've been to a few times, and it's quite a stressful place, as I'm sure a lot of people are finding out right now as we speak. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, I don't go to that many festivals. Um, yeah. Uh, I, no, I think that's a good choice. It's, it's a very well-loved, um, and rightly so, it's a very well-loved Well, I, I know the part of the world. I have places I can stay near there. It's just, mm. I mean, just being selfish, it's the most practical one for me to go to, and I've always had a nice time there. I mean, uh, yeah, and I think uh, one, 
I say on another one of the other interviews, we were talking about the, and I know it's inevitable in some way, but the commercialization of festivals where it, it starts off quite free spirit and quite kind of a bit, not that well organized, but it just kind of works somehow and everyone just has a good time. And then slowly but surely it becomes quite commercialized. It just sort of sucks the spirit out of it a bit. And even now the comedians in the last couple of years talking about likes of Ed Fringe, where the, you know, the amount of money you need to yeah. have just to even have a roof over I, your head. It's become crippling it sounds like i've never i mean i've been up to edinburgh i've never taken a show up i might do when i have the money and time but i'm yeah 43 now i, I keep thinking i might go up and because 2025 will be my 20th anniversary of doing stand-up i like the idea of debuting at 20 and doing a show that's just called and i'm fucking done <laughs> just, just walk do on, one. Say that. Walk i do an hour that is just a summary of the last 20 years of my life and then i leave and then somebody hands me a Perrier, and I'm just like, "Fuck off!" <laughs> <laughs> I I quite like that. I think that I think that would be quite brilliant. I love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no idea what it's about. Other than I think it's just like, "Fuck off!" Is I know the closure is "fuck off," and then I just go work in a quick fit. In fact, I only do one show on the first day of the fringe, and the rest of the month I just work in a quick fit in Edinburgh. That's the show. And then I, every day at the end of every shift, I do a bucket speech, but that's it. Other than that, it's I'm not doing it. Um, Superb. Do you have a lucky totem that has to attend every show, event, or writing room with you? What do you believe would happen if you lost it? I don't have anything like that. Well, I do. Uh, I do get anxious uh, if I don't go if I go on stage without a watch. Uh, doesn't have to be a special watch. I'm a watch nerd. I have twenty watches. I'll use any of them. Uh, I just need to be able to look down uh, occasionally and go, ah, fuck. I either need to leave or, which is what usually happens is, I'm, I'm lucky that I've been doing it long enough that I'm reasonable enough that time flies, at least for me, while I'm up on stage. Once in a while you'll have a gig and you'll be like, I must be nearly done. And I think the worst, like I was booked for a 20 once and I'd done, I looked yeah. at my watch, I was having a terrible time. I was like, I just, I can't wait to leave. I must be nearly done. And I looked down, I was like, and seven minutes are gone. And like, I've, oh, no. I've got 13 oh, more minutes. No. I don't, I oh. think I've said everything. Just because it's like without the laughs, it goes quick. Yeah. It's yeah. like no, I'll yeah, keep because you yeah. gabble and you you don't you know. There's no pause for laughter, so you're just like, well, fuck. All right, what should we talk about now? Uh, yeah, that doesn't happen. That, but that has happened a few times. But maybe it would have been better on those days if I didn't have a watch. I would have just gone. I assumed I've done twenty because you you've been <laughs> a joy, and then leave, and then goes, okay, well, we're not going to pay you. Fair enough. I just want to get out of this town. Goodbye. Yeah, I really do need to leave. Now, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. You... The man over there is baring his teeth at me, so I think we'll call it a night. <laughs> I don't think he's a fan of folks. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't have called his wife. He didn't get the reference. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so no, I haven't got anything like that. I, I just, for any advice for what to take in a writer's room with you? Ideas. Uh, that, yeah. That's all you need. Pen and paper, ideas. Because... Um, yeah, I, I, every writer's room I've been in, uh, you, you wanna, you should have notes. Unless it's one where you get things given to you, like if it's a topical show and they got you doing this and this, you don't find out till the day. Yeah, take ideas with you. Like I, yeah. I write on a, on a radio sketch show, and I think, I think we, we have to write ten a series. We're obligated to write ten a series, yeah. and we'll have three sessions. So there's two. So I'll have five sketches for the first one, five sketches for the second one, and then there's a mop up session. So, but they're yeah. generally written, and then they often get torn apart. 
Um, although uh, I can't, I don't remember which one it was. But I, we were, it was still doing COVID, so it was over Zoom. I'd had an idea for months uh, for a sketch, I, and I. I had one sketch die in the writer's room, in the read-through. Oh, no. Uh, no, no, it was, it was fine. It was because like, this happened. You're like, okay, well, they're not all going to be winners. And we went out for lunch for like half an hour, and I wrote this other sketch. And, and then we had a read-through of it after lunch. And that one that I had written it, I probably, even though I'd been thinking about it, I'd written it down in 12 minutes. And we did a read-through wow. after, and that went straight through. So you never know. Sometimes... Sometimes the idea is you don't no. take them in the room with it. I've given two completely opposite pieces of advice there. Everyone, make sure you follow both. Plan ahead and do not do that, is my advice. Yeah, I, I found that writing scripts that I have, um, something that I seem to spend forever on sort of hammering away at it, trying to make it work. I eventually just lose the will. And then I might suddenly have an idea and write it in about half an hour and it's pretty much there. And you think, oh, why can't it always be that? Uh, because then it'd be boring. Well, if it was easy every no, time. Imagine if, you you know, I think if I did stand-up every time and I knew I was going to get a standing ovation every time, I'd probably knock it on the edge. Like, well, <laughs> I got, usually I've got no respect for audiences when they laugh anyway. So if they got <laughs> mad, I'll be like, oh, I'm getting out of this business. That's harsh. <laughs> no respect for the audience that laughs. Well, it's... it's it's a weird thing. I have this, like, if they laugh too easily, it's like, what's the point of me even being here? <laughs> I see. Oh, you need, right, you need them. They, it's the earnings. Yes, I, yeah, just... exactly. Because the th- I, I've never felt like, oh, I can't. I'm, I, there's been a couple of times I've been on stage. There was one time I was on stage and it was going really well. It was like a big club, 440 seater full on like a oh, Saturday night. And I, I realised about halfway through that I wasn't paying any attention. Like, I realised that I'd gone into my own head. I was still talking. <laughs> I was still doing my routine. But in my head, I was going, right, I wonder if I can get out here. I wonder if I can get home by 10. If I'm off stage at 9.35, I'm back in the car at 9.40, 20 minutes drive. Yeah, I should be back by 10. And I'm doing all <laughs> that in my head, at which point I realised, hang on, I'm in a gig right now. And then I, I, but I, even, I remember consciously going, let's see, how much is left of my set? And then I listened to myself and I went, all right, that's about seven minutes from the end. And then started doing the maths. And then at that point I went, hang on, how have I done that? How am I having two completely different conversations? One with myself and one with 440 strangers. Uh, and that was, that was a weird moment. That was a, that was a bit of self-reflection there of like, am I still enjoying this? Uh, and I, you know, and that was, that was a time, that was a big thing for me that night. It was like, okay. I shouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. That might be the because that's not fun. If you're able to tune yourself out, you might not be having the best time. And then I changed a bunch of stuff up in my set and, and some performance stuff. And uh, you know, it's not always magical, but that was that was a turning point for me that I needed to make some changes. I think that's really important. Though. I I I know when um, part of me surprised when you talk. You know, like like yourself, you've been in the industry a long time, but uh, you listen to people who've been doing it such a long time you you assume it's almost like an autopilot but it very much isn't it's still the stress and the yeah. worry but also like you say if if you find you you've sort of zoned out of yourself it's time to make a change isn't it so, yeah and it, it, it hadn't ever happened before i didn't have a panic but it was just like oh i was like i, I, I was worried about how much should i worry about this and it's never happened since yeah. really but it's it made me conscious of um don't go on autopilot because you never know what you said 
That's it. Or, or, or you're worried you're going to reach the point of just coming out with a cassette deck and putting a pre-recorded tape in of yourself and walking yeah. off. And I think back. the weird thing was, I seem to remember I was still doing ad-libbed bits, but I wasn't paying any attention to them, so I don't know what they were. <laughs> but they, they, they seemed to be flying. It was like, oh, I don't know what I said, but well done me. Um, yeah. So I, 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 Did anyone write those down? Did anyone? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was almost, do you know what it was like? It was like genuinely, you know, quantum leap. It's like I leapt into myself in the middle of a gig. <laughs> oh boy. Oh, that's brilliant. I love it. I love the fact you just, you you were sort of spinning ad libs, not even knowing that you were spinning ad libs because you were working out your journey. Yeah, I think I had, they were, I mean, I don't remember. This is going back a long time love now, it. but I, I, I assumed they were sort of, when I say ad libs, yeah, question six. If you could pretend a sketch, radio show, TV show or film was written by you, which one would you blatantly steal? I wouldn't. Okay, because fair enough. That's not the joy for me. It's not the, it's not the credit. It's the, it's the doing it. I completely understand that. Uh, there's some that are obviously more inspirational than others. and I think there's some you can be inspired by. And I think probably Hancock, uh, mm-hmm. Fawlty Towers, probably um, a number of comics. There's, there's, a, there's a guy called Nate Bargatze who's... A, Bit younger than me, who's um, uh, stand up from Tennessee, and I've noticed it's quite interesting because, like I said, I've been doing this eighteen years, but I've noticed I copy yeah. his stage mannerisms, not the material, not even the sort of topics, nothing like that. But I've started, I've noticed, I've started standing like him. Oh wow! Uh, and it, I'm aware of it on stage. I'm like, you know what? It looks good. It works. It works for him. It works for me. Um, name one time you were proud of your work and why. I don't want to use this to plug something, but I'm going to because I've just done something I'm really proud of. And it's not quite comedy, but I, I've started, um, me and a friend started a production company three weeks before COVID because timing is everything in comedy. <laughs> yes, it's uh, just. And we, we've done a bunch of stuff and I'm very proud of all of it, but we just did a show that I really loved. It was a half hour show called The Funny Thing About Grief, which is currently still on BBC Sounds. That's why it's, sorry, it's technically a plug, but it's... Uh, someone we knew, someone we had worked with, had lost. Uh, he was a, he was a runner for us on a production, and he uh, yeah. he lost his mum when he was seventeen, and, uh, and one and one of the actors on it had also lost her mum when he was seventeen, and he was driving her to set one day, and they got talking about these things, and it and it just they started having these conversations about the t- what binds you together when you lose a parent young, and what effect it has, the long tail it has on your life, um, and it was just really. I think we were talking to the both of them at lunchtime on this shoot we were doing ages ago now. We're like, that sounds like it'd make an interesting documentary. We ended up pitching it to BBC Wales Radio. Um, and we we did that, and that went out a few weeks ago. Uh, and it's, yeah, funny thing about grief. And I, I really like it, and I think the feedback has been lovely, that it, you know, it's helped a lot of people who've been through grief. So I'm going to say that. Oh, that's great. No, no, I'm not, I feel free to plug away. It's all part of a parcel of this. But that, oh, look that up. That sounds like a it was That was a lovely one. So that's... You ask me again in a year, it'd be like, oh, I've just done a, I just did a documentary called My I've Got a Weird Cock. And I'd be like, yeah, it's a really good show, that. It's, we're really proud of the show we just did for Channel 5, I've Got a Weird Cock. But, um, yeah. Somehow in 14 yeah, episodes. Not yeah. quite sure. Whole, um, name one time you could have curled up into a ball and let the universe swallow you whole. I don't, I know there's been moments like that, but actually I forget bad things. Sort of that's how quickly. No, that's I, healthy. I, that's I, a healthy one. It's been. I remember one gig. <clears throat> the MC. I had a bad gig. He set it up badly. He spilled his drink everywhere on the stage before bringing me on. So I went on and slept. They didn't like me oh, anyway because I was Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And I, I, I wow. stuck it till the, I did, I think I did 20 minutes on the dump. And I don't think I even finished the last punchline. I was just, anyway, then his mother-in-law says, and then my watch went 20 minutes. <laughs> and I went, fuck you, good night. Right? Uh, and I ended up driving home. And I don't, and it was, it was from Nottingham back to Cardiff, which is a two and a half hour drive, right? And I, yeah. I remember getting in the car and I remember pulling up outside my house and I have no recollection of the entire journey because I was saving the entire time. Yeah. Um, so that was, that's not quite the same. It wasn't embarrassment. I was livid. Um, but I, I quite enjoyed that because, you know, a lot of the time you really feel every minute of a journey when it's 1 a.m. and you're driving back from wherever the fuck from a gig. But this one was like, I've just traveled yeah. through time. Like I have, I've just, it's taken me 12 seconds to get from Nottingham to Cardiff. That was quite nice, but I wouldn't recommend being that angry that permanently. You'd go mad. Two and a half hours of fury. Yeah. Uh, name one item of memorabilia you've acquired from the circuit that you would happily pull from the fire before anything else, including loved ones. Um, I, it's not exactly memorabilia, but can I count all the money I've earned? If you like, it's, it's that's, good. yeah. It's that's been my favorite thing that I've taken from gigs has been the cash. Fair enough. Uh, I I would go for the I'd, I'd go for the loved ones first, uh, obviously. Um, but I, I <laughs> just to be clear, <laughs> money can be exchanged for goods and services, and I like that. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything I own that I've got from a gig. I don't think so. Uh, I had one time years ago. I did a gig. I was just an open spot in the middle, and I think I said to the guy, "Is there any chance of any contribution to fuel?" And someone had left a flat cap in the audience and he just looked down at the flat cap and said, do you want this? Wow. And I kept that for about a month before going, I'm not going to... This was before Peaky Blinders, so it wasn't even fashionable yet. The only person who was wearing them was that, what's his name, the bloke used to be married to Madonna, Guy Ritchie. Fuck him. Yeah, I don't want to look like him. Um, What one thing would you not tell up-and-coming funny people so that they can suffer like you did? Would you not tell? Yeah, just uh, think. I, it was just a, a a riff on that about something. Oh yeah. Learned, <coughs> think, no, you did stuff like I did. I, I, I think. Uh, do you know what? In terms of comedy, uh, everyone should suffer uh, in, on on stage at some point. Because if I think a lot, some people come up the gates really well, and then they go, "Well, this is working," and they don't. And they can't turn their hand to other things like slightly tougher gigs or clubbier gigs or, or, or wherever. So you have to suffer because that's how you learn how to play different types of rooms. Um, in terms of the grimmer, more serious aspect, there is plenty of people that you go like, don't work for this person. Stay, don't do a car share with that fucking person. And that's not the same as suffering for your art. That is like, there's some pricks in the business. Avoid them. So I would absolutely give them a list of, of the rogues gallery of pricks to avoid. <laughs> Here's a list. Just don't have anything to do with these. Yeah, here's a list. And in, in the yeah, in the case of um, uh, female comics, there are WhatsApp groups you should probably join <laughs> that will let you know the. Pre- I'm not a member of them, but I know they exist. Yeah, uh, and I think join them, and then they'll let you know who the promoters to fucking avoid in the comics and not get in a car with. Yeah, I, I I think this is something when I when I first started talking to people a couple of yeah properly talking to people a couple of years ago sort of in the in the comedy business I you always know there's some wrongs in any industry but it was quite staggering some of the names that were being mentioned obviously for legal reasons not going yeah 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 but it was um it was like no really and you just I don't know why they got a pass I suppose because part of my head I'm going I think they're all right 
And someone says, no, 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 no. <laughs> just, just no. Just never get in a car with them or It's like, Christ, really? Why, why are they still working? Why are they still... Do they have a career if that's how they behave as a human being? And, uh, you know. I think as they get protected by other men, it's the same as anything else. I just think yeah. the comedy's different. Because, like, there's a comic called Stephen Allen in South Wales, and I, th- I think I was quoting him right. This is not, this is from conversation, not stand-up. But the, the worrying thing is stand-up is an industry that doesn't have an HR department. Yes. And yeah. also a lot of... Uh, oh, I'm not going to get into it too much, but there's, I think a lot of people who have maybe been nerds their entire life, find themselves, you know, if they're good stand-ups, in a position of power all of a sudden. And they, that's quite, if you're, if you're a wrong one and you've been hiding it, maybe even from yourself, uh, <laughs> it can be quite a dangerous um, mix. But, you know, ultimately, um, there's some pricks in the business is what I'm driving at. Uh, okay, where are we now? Outside of comedy, what? <laughs> I read this. This is the this is the question that made me panic. Yeah. Okay. Well, you, don't, you com- don't have to answer it. It's not the law. Oh no, I will. I, I will try. Outside of comedy, what else do you enjoy doing, and what would be your ideal career? What? I quite like word games. Uh, I quite <laughs> like video games. Can I say raising my kids? That seems to be fine. Um, yeah, that's a perfectly valid answer. Uh, there's that. Uh, I've, I've played The Last of Us Part 2. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I read when I get a chance. I tell you what, my ideal career is now over. It, you can't get it anymore. I Because from gigging, I would uh, obviously have to cross the Seven Bridge to get back into Wales. Yes. And there was toll booths a few years ago. Five, eight-year time, and there were times, there was sometimes an entire week where the only person I would talk to that wasn't just a group of strangers in the dark and the occasional comic would be whoever was manning the toll booth. I would go, even though you could, there was an automated one, I would go to the manned one just so I could have a 90-second conversation with another mammal. And I always fancied that job because it's like, because I'd see, what are you doing in there? Oh, I'm just working on my doctoral thesis or I'm just watching Columbo on the little TV I've got in here. And I, I would, my ideal career would be doing like the 10 till 6 shift in a toll booth. <laughs> wow. I, 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 I know it's true. That. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I have no idea what it pays, but they, there was, I never met a grumpy one. They always seem pretty happy with a lot. So here we are. That. Maybe yeah, maybe it's the undiscovered career that we we assume it's uh, sort of mind numbing, but maybe it's actually an amazing job that everyone just keeps quiet about. Yeah, maybe. Well, I mean, they, they have to know because they they shut the toll booths well, in the wheels for free now, which I don't approve of. It's no, worth I, the cash. Uh, yes, I absolutely agree with you. Absolutely, <laughs> shouldn't yeah. Um, what is the one question? Right, now then, what is the one question you want to be asked that no one ever thinks to ask you? Um, and the question is why? Okay. Like, because <clears throat> I wouldn't have an answer. No one's ever said to me, "Why did you start doing stand up?" And I don't know. Oh wow! And I, I wonder if, in the right context, I would finally have an answer. Because sometimes I sit there going, "Because I'm quite, a, I genuinely think I'm quite a boring, <laughs> dull, normal, tedious person," and yet. The thing I do for a living is the, literally, statistically, the number one fear. 
Like, like, the number one fear is public speaking. The second biggest fear is death. Like, Jerry Seinfeld's joke is, that means if you're in the funeral given the eulogy, you'd rather be in the box. <laughs> it's very true, yeah. Very um, true. But I, I don't mind doing it at all. I, I, and I think it's, I think anyone who does stand-up who wants to do anything like this is inherently an interesting person. The caveat to that is, but I do it, so it can't be that interesting because I'm awfully dull. So um, I, I don't know why I do this. I could I I'm not one of those people who goes I could have done anything. I couldn't. I'd be a sh- I was shit at math, so that's engineering out. I don't like like sloppy noises, so that can't be a doctor or a surgeon. No. I don't know what I would have done if it wasn't if it wasn't basically this. I never had any. Uh, I mean, I guess there's tangential things like acting. I've done a little bit of that. Writing, I guess I could do that. Maybe novelist, but it's all sort of linked. I've but never. You're still not ever, sure why you got into it. No, I don't know what there was about that. I've never in my entire life thought that. The closest to a normal job I've ever thought maybe I'd like to do was when I was a kid, I wanted to maybe be a special effects person. But that's still creative and arty. But I've never been... I, 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 it just blows my mind when people go... Like young people in their teens. And you go, what do you want to do for a living? They're like, I want to be a city planner. Like, cool. Yeah. Follow your weird little dream. Yeah. How do you know that? I, I don't know what I want to do. And I'm four times older than you or whatever. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it is quite creepy when people know it too, too young, I think. Yeah. But I think, weirdly, I always knew basically what I wanted to do. I always kind of knew. I remember when I was 11, uh, I, 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 I was ill at school and the, the school nurse had to drive me home. Uh, and we talked and she said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I want to be, I want to be Galton and Simpson. I was 11. And I didn't get there, but I, you know, I've written for radio, so it wasn't too far off. But it was like I always kind of knew I wanted to do something like this. Fair enough. I was. I. I think people who, a bit like me, I kind of drift. I think. I don't know if it's healthy, but I. I find it's less stressful than people who are obsessed by reaching a target and then spend their life trying to reach that target and getting very stressed if it doesn't all pan out. Yeah, I have short-term goals. So like I said, we've got a production company now, so which is which is ideal for me because it's like you can just move on to the next thing. You're like, oh, that didn't work, or all right, that was fun, but yeah, let's move on to the next thing because every few months, yeah, you have to move on to the next one. Which to, but it, and because they're so different, it doesn't feel like you're on a treadmill. Like like if you're a city planner, it's like, oh yeah, I guess I'll I guess we'll have to put this um, sleeping policeman down somewhere else now. <laughs> How different is that every time? Yeah. No, it's a fair point, actually, isn't it? It really is, yeah. Uh, I imagine there are only shades of difference after a point, isn't there? So. Yeah, they, oh, this was a slightly thicker one. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I'm with you on that, the creative and, and different things, uh, you know, changing all the time to different things is far more interesting, I think, as a career than knowing that when you're going to the office on Monday, you've got to yet again discuss the reasoning of that roundabout or... Yeah, I, I agree, but there's some people who... It's weird, because I know people who do that sort of job, and they hate the job, but on the <laughs> other hand, they, they think about what I do, and they go, I, I would rather not do that. Like, the idea of doing stand-up is horrific to some people. Yes. I think I, I, I know uh, a, a successful uh, person, she entrepreneurial, um, and the, the only advice she ever gave me, which, I, to be fair, I still haven't worked out the courage to do, is basically... You've got to throw everything in the pot, the thing you want to do, and just go for it. No no safety blanket, no sort of, you know, parachutes or anything. You've just got to go all in because that you have to make it work then. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I totally understand where she's coming from. Yeah, I just can't quite bring myself to. <laughs> exactly, because the thing is, the people who it did work for are the ones who write the autobiography. Oh, that's yeah. There's, there's never, no one's ever written a book about their, their a small business they started in their garage. that's called, well, I fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, yes, no, yes. Any written history is written by the the winners, isn't it? So exactly. Yeah, I, I, I was discussing this briefly on one of the other um, recordings about the number of people who who want to do a career. If it, not that you should do this because it's probably not good for your mental health, but. If you look at the number of people who want to do that job and then the number of people who actually do that job, and I'm talking more really in sort of career-wise, sort of community acting, you know, that kind of thing, film, whatever. You look at the number of people who are being trained, should we say, or going to film schools or whatever, then take that number down to the number of people who you actually could name off the top of your head as a director or a, mm. a TV star or a you know, comedian or whatever. And you, It's a very small pool, isn't it, compared to how many people are out there trying to make it yeah but I think it's what I will say is uh, sometimes you'll get less talented people who do break through yes uh, but oh God, I'm sure I'm wrong now but I was a lot of the time the people who do break through break through for a reason because yeah. they do have a special talent um, yeah. and they've done everything right like I've I'm trying to think of direct design for example, directors, it's like oh, they've always got something about them. Yeah, um, I don't disagree. I think uh, if if there's something about you, eventually the stars will align. It may not. I, I this comes back to a discussion ages ago about this annoying thing, particularly the media, where they say where someone is suddenly famous, like, oh, overnight success. Yeah, and even yeah. a cursory search on them says, well, actually, they've been gigging for. 10 years or 15 years or whatever or you know they started here and they worked all hours to make this work and and then eventually the stars aligned for them and so yeah they got picked up by somebody or seen by somebody and it all just worked out but this ridiculous overnight success thing that you wake up wanting and go i want to be a comedian and then the same night you know you're feeling <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> yeah you got a gig at, i don't know a huge venue a sellout venue it's like yeah it, it's not doesn't quite pan out like that for anyone. So, no, I mean, it does. But you're right. If it if it comes down to um, uh, just the stars alone, just keep going. You're right. You are you are right. Just keep going. Yeah, but on the other end, if it feels like it's not working, don't feel you have to stick to the bitter end. <laughs> yes, yes, that's also <laughs> true. Yeah, if 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 you, I don't know if it's your fiftieth gig of one person, um, and they're just playing Candy Crush, maybe. Yeah. Maybe you or, know it's yeah. not the right path for you, or if if you know whatever. If you're one of these dragon den people who go in, and it's like I've been putting. I know plenty people who put money into projects, yeah, and they didn't need to do that. They should have listened to the people around them. Going, this might not be the one. <laughs> this might not be the project. Then stop. Cut yeah. your losses. Move on. There was the one. The one that sticks with me. I didn't watch many of the dragons dens because I I start getting a bit. Not upset, but a bit worried about some of the people who were so assured of their product. And then you just, can you hear yourself? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the one that stuck in my mind was the guy who was selling the single glove so you knew which side of the road to drive on. Oh, my God. 
Yeah, it was. I don't the, remember him. No, yeah, it was. He was. He was packaging a single glove. So what was it? You wore. It was if you went to France, you'd wear it on your right hand, so you knew you had no. On your left hand, no, on your right hand, so you knew you drove on the right. Um, and then you just took it off when you came back to the UK, something like that. And it was so mad. I remember Deborah Meaden just sort of looking, you know, staring and going, "But couldn't anyone just buy like a pair of gloves for like a quid?" And just put one glove on. They don't need your sort of your special glove, do they? They literally just need a pair of gloves. And he, he just, in my head anyway, he just looked so crestfallen that someone had picked up on what I thought was a fairly self-evident yeah. observation. Some he so didn't why have is any no friends. one in your family or your or your social circle? <laughs> Look, the thing I know you're trying to do something here, and I know you're trying to make something. I don't want to crush your dreams, but it's a glove. You know, I just to this day it just stuck with me about no one stopped stopped them going on. I felt really sorry for them. No, so there's a middle ground. Follow your dreams, but then just make sure that it that it doesn't become a nightmare. That's it. A big thank you to Dan for that interview. Uh, if you'd like to know more, links in the show notes. And this has been an original podcast production for Lightmotive Productions. <laughs>